Lord, we're so happy that you allow us to be set free right now, Lord, that maybe the hammer isn't weighing down on us that bad in life. I mean, gosh, Lord, we're at a nice coffee shop, Lord. We, we eat good food, Lord, and we have a place to sleep and a place to stay, cars to drive. A country with freedom, Lord, you've given us. A place of freedom. And we thank you for that. We realize that it's a gift from you to have these special things. I pray, Lord, that you'd speak to us through your word. That you would open our eyes to see exactly what you want us to hear tonight. Please open up Exodus 35, Lord. Minister to us deeply. We have ears to hear. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Exodus chapter 35, an exciting chapter. Love this chapter. It's, I mean, I love every chapter, but you know, it's, it's, there's something sweet to every single chapter in the Bible. There's always something there. The Word of God is amazing, isn't it? You read the thing and it starts speaking to you. It, it, the words come off the page. It's alive. It's living. Spoke at ECR today, and they had this thing. It was like uh, Mars Hill or something, Acts chapter seventeen, uh, like the Battle of the Gods or something. What what somebody did for fraternity, put on this event where all the religions would come out and each would have certain time to speak. And Christians were there, and Islam was there, and Buddhists were there, and all these different religions and all these different things. And so you have an opportunity to kind of stand up and do your thing and say say whatever for 20 minutes or something. So I got there, and there's like nobody there. <laughs> like, man, what's going on here? And it, it was, there was two people sitting in the chairs. If you, if you know UCR, the, you know the bell tower, the giant bell tower? It was right there at the bottom. Of the, with, like, if I'm standing here, the bell tower is literally like six feet to my back. And then out in front of me is all the tables of the religious tables, and there's like two guys sitting right here. One guy was named Kevin, because he had it written on his jacket, I knew. <laughs> I even said that, I'm like, Kevin! And so I just brought it up to him, I started talking to him. And I just started speaking to him personally, and I started speaking to the tables that were sitting there. I said, you know what, there's nobody out here, so I'm going to speak to you two, and then I'm going to speak to every single person at these tables, all these different religions. And I started testifying truth the best that I could. And all of a sudden the bell rang and everybody started coming out. It was amazing. And people didn't exactly come and sit down, but you know, all of a sudden there's like a thousand people walking across the lawn, and so it was awesome. And I shared this book and how true it is and how alive it is. And I even sat down afterwards. It, it, it was really awesome. You know, Many people came up. There was about three guys and a couple other people said from a distance that it was really good. I shouldn't feel like I really accomplished much, but I started talking with the man at the Islam table afterwards. I started challenging his book in the most loving manner that I could bring, and the man, he was a very nice man. You know, you know, I lived in the Middle East for, for three months, and I ran across a lot of Muslims who were very nice people. The, the truth, you know, and I think we've stereotyped here in, in, in America that they are, you know, wicked people, or Arabs, I guess, would be, but that's not the truth. I think the religion at the base is very wicked and very sick. But this man, for some reason, he said he was even willing to call out people with suicide bombings and these kind of things, willing to call them out and say, you are not following Allah, you are not following Islam. I started challenging him. We had a great conversation, really nice guy, in his book. I said, why do you follow the teachings of Muhammad over the teachings of Jesus? He's like, well, because of, you know, he's trying to start explaining himself, trying to start saying things about Muhammad and what he did. And I'm like, okay, that's great. If, if you want to compare lives, Jesus blew him away, man. It's like, I mean, what man can raise himself from the dead? Nobody. What man lived a perfect life? No one but Jesus Christ. Muhammad didn't split time in half. Jesus did. You see, he couldn't see it. And, and then all of a sudden he started backpedaling. And I started asking him, why do you follow this book? What is it? What, is, what authority does the Quran have? I have the Quran. What is it? And he started, he didn't have anything to say. I, w I wasn't bringing it to him even as hard as I'm bringing it to you now. It was more, it was a lot nicer. And, and, and then he started saying, he said three times to me, I'll, I'll never forget it. I'll never forget that conversation. He said this. He says, I'm ashamed 
I'm ashamed that I'm ignorant and I don't know why I read this book. And I don't know why it's the truth. He said it three times to me. And you do know what we have? You and me, Christian, listen up. Follower of Yeshua, listen to me. Do you know what you have? You have truth in your hand. And every time this thing opens, gosh, I wish we were like the Puritans, you know, they like stood. And we need to do that right now. Stand as we open this, right now. I'm serious, stand with me. It just came to me, it just sounds good, you know. But you know, when we open the Word of God, this thing is powerful, it's amazing. There's no book like it. And I'm going to ask God to speak to us right now before we open the Word. Really dive into this. I know I always ask it, but I'm going to pray again. Because I believe that God wants to speak to you tonight and me too through this chapter and every single chapter. It's alive and it will speak to you. And I could proclaim that to that man standing there today. So let's ask the Father, Lord, we have your word in our hands and we desire to hear from you. We know this thing is holy and righteous and awesome. That it's true, it tells the future, no contradiction, no book like it. Powerful. The words come off the pages, Lord. I pray you'd speak to us through this message. We'd hear your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Sit down. Now. <laughs> Spanish speakers. Alright. Um, so. Exodus chapter 35. And Moses gathered all the children of Israel together and said unto them, These are the words which the Lord has commanded that you should say to them. Verse 2, you ready? Six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day there shall be to you a holy day, a Sabbath day of rest unto the Lord. Whosoever doeth or does work therein shall be put to death. You shall kindle no fire throughout your habitations upon the Sabbath day. We'll stop there. Did you hear that? The Sabbath day is to be holy and set apart, he says. He says, you're not to work, you are to rest on the Sabbath day. You are to rest. And then he says, what? If you work, you're going to be put to death. That's pretty hardcore. That's how serious God is about it. Now, I believe that God is still serious about the Sabbath in this day. Yes, I do. But I do not believe in a legalistic way. It's like it's this day, and you are there are 600 laws that you are to keep, and you are not to do anything because uh, you'll be stoned for it. Or like I was in Israel. Check out some of these things. You see how that said right there in verse 3? You shall kindle no fire throughout your habitation. You see that? You know what they take that as? Guess what? You can't start a car. Want to know why? Because with a car, when it starts, what happens is a spark plug, okay, creates a spark. And then fire comes, and guess what? I mean, the gas comes in, and the spark hits, and what happens? Fire. And so they say, you cannot use a car. You can't start a car on Shabbat, on Sabbath. That's ridiculous. If you just think about it, reason... So now they have to walk everywhere, and they do. They walk everywhere. You think about it, that's not rest. Let's walk everywhere in the city instead of drive a car. It makes no sense. But you see, that's what happens when you don't have the Holy Spirit, when you do not have God within you. Things don't make sense. You do not have a sound mind. But God does. And He has placed it in us. And what has He said to you and to me? He says, the Sabbath is not made for God. It's made for man. It's made for you and for me. Do you understand that? It's not made for God where He says, listen up, I'm going to make you and force you, even in this day and age, to keep Sabbath and keep Shabbat. So that you'll be weighed down and burdened for all these rules and regulations so you can't do anything to force you to rest. No, don't you understand? It was not made for that. It was made for what? For you and I to have a day of rest. When's the last time you had a real day of rest, my friend? Real day of rest. I don't know if I've ever had a real day of rest. It's kind of scary. Maybe in Israel. Maybe in Mexico, definitely. 
Because John wouldn't allow us to do anything on Saturday. Dead serious. He's like, you will not do anything. You guys, you, you can maybe play a little bit of basketball, but you're not playing too much. And you guys, are just, 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 ha- just enough fun where you're not, you know, just getting crazy and you're all tired. You need to rest. And he would tell us to, and he would straight up, like, you will have a day of rest. You know what happens when I try to rest? I don't. I sit down, and I'm like, oh, it's time to relax. And I always complain, too, if you know me. I'm complaining about how busy I am, and then I never get to rest. But then when I get the chance to rest, me and Robert are the same. It's like when we get the chance to rest, we start doing things. You know, we start, we start making projects and thinking about things that need to be done. You know, and, and going out in the garage and just thinking, like, what can I do, what can I do, what can I do? You know, because it's like sitting there just, just wasting time. That's what it feels like. But do you understand that God has what created every single person here, the body, he understands us, and what has he said? You need a day of rest. And it was deadly in that day. You did not rest, boom, you're getting knocked down. That's how serious God is about it. I think we're going to be chopped down, cut down, beat up in this day by our king. And we've been set free from the law. Romans chapter 7. But... I believe that the rule or the regulation should simply establish in our life somewhat, friend. And I know people, I met a guy in the desert. When I was in Mexico, I met a guy in the desert. His Shabbat, this is what he did. He woke up, he, he literally did not cook or he wouldn't do anything because he really wa- he wanted to be exhausted with resting. You want to know why? So that the other six days of the week, he would be full blast, committed to work. He'd be sick of resting. Just like, I'm going to work as hard as I can. So what he would do is he would sit in his bed all day. He would lay there. And he would, he would wake up, he would have the Bible right there next to him, he'd start reading. He'd read until he fell asleep. And he'd wake up again and he'd start reading. And he'd read until he fell asleep and he'd pray and talk to the Lord and just spend time with him. And he would sit there in that bed all day long and would not leave the room. Yeah. Kid, you know, no video games, no. He would rest. And that's amazing to me. And you know what? Now that I think about it, I mean, it sounds... It sounds very logical for the body, reasonable, like forcing myself to have a day of rest, saying, listen up, body, you've been working all week, no more. Your mind has been running. You need to stop. You need to slow down. And you know what? I will command you in the best way that I can, friends, tonight, that you need to have a Sabbath day, a Shabbat, every single day, every single week, one day a week, you need to have one. Listen. Shabbat. Do you guys know Shabbat Shalom? Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat 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 Shalom. Shabbat Shabbat. No? Shabbat Shabbat Shalom. Okay. If you're listening on the internet, they don't know it. That's why I stopped singing. But Shabbat Shalom. That's what you say to people when Shabbat is coming up in Israel. When Shabbat Shabbat starts on Friday night, Friday night when the sun goes down, you see the sun's about to go down. If this was Friday night, Shabbat's about to stop. And guess what? There's going to be no cars driving on the street. Alberto's is going to be closed. Uh, Java Bliss closed. All the supermarkets closed. You're not getting anything. There were like there were like two places, Sanjay, like two 24-hour stores, like in the whole city that were open. Oh, I guess that's right. In the airport town also, or the yeah because they don't follow Shabbat. But the Jewish nation as a whole, everything just stops. Friday night, and then all the way to what? Saturday night. When Saturday night, when the sun goes down, Shabbat is over. Rest is over. But it's a great thing, and you see people go home and rest. They really do. They go home with their families, and they just hang out. And that's why Israel still is a big family, despite their secularism. They're still a family. We as a nation, dude, we got fences, like in every single house. Like, don't look over my fence. Okay, here he comes. He's going to come talk to me on a... Hey, John, how's it going? We don't want to be a family, it seems like, here. But rest is absolutely important and crucial for your life as a Christian. Is ministry burdening you down? What is it? Are you a little tired today? Why? It's because we need Shabbat. God knows. And He said it in the beginning. And you still need it today. Your body hasn't changed. It's probably got worse. You need that. 
you need to force yourself to have that. A day where you just do what you love to do, like, I could go surf, man, and just, it gets me tired. But I just love it. Oh, it's a great time with the king, too, you know, like, there's just those moments when I'm sitting on the water. You know, everybody's not around me. I just caught a wave, paddle back in. I'm sitting there like, man. Just admiring him and talking to him. Sometimes I'll bust a little song under my breath. Don't let anybody know. But then maybe the key for Josh Thompson is to go home and sleep. And rest and read. And don't let anything else get in the way. I don't know what it is for you. But you need that. God established it and he said it back in that day. Be put to death for it. Verse 4, And Moses spake unto all the children of Israel, the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, This is the thing which the Lord commands, saying, You ready? Verse 5, Take ye among you, from you, an offering unto the Lord. Whosoever is of a willing heart, let him bring it. An offering unto the Lord. Gold and silver and brass. Stop there. Verse 5, Again, Take ye from among you an offering unto the Lord. Whosoever has a willing heart, let him bring it as an offering to the Lord. And then it starts to list all these different things for quite a while. I mean, it goes all the way there to about verse 19 of different things that are going to be offered. What are these things for? They're for the tabernacle. Do you understand where we're at in the book of Exodus? The tabernacle is being established. What's the tabernacle? If you, uh, How many of you got the devotional? I sent two pictures. Did you see those? If you didn't, you should go back and check the email. I sent out two pictures of the tabernacle, what it looks like. A front view, and then a a kind of helicopter view, because I took it from this mountain, um, this setup of a tabernacle there in Israel. Awesome. But the tabernacle was set up to be what? A meeting place with God. And that's where you go. If you wanted to meet with God, you would go to the tabernacle. Everyone. And a lot of people say, when you see the tabernacle, like, dang, that thing is small. I mean, really small. They're like three million people. How are they all going to get into that place? How are they all going to fit into the little tabernacle? Many people say this. The reason why it's so small is because not that many people want to hang out with God. Not three million people do not want to be in that place. And that is where he dwelt and that is where it happened. And that day, the tabernacle. And so what's happening? Moses, he's coming to the people and saying, listen up. We're about to build the tabernacle. We're going to put this thing together. And even extras, I believe, would probably uh, be there for replacements for the tabernacle. Because they moved this thing, I think it was like 30-something times. It moved it quite a bit. This tabernacle, easy to set up, easy to break down. And it was a meeting place with God in Moses' day. So, he comes to the congregation and says, Listen up, guys. The Lord is commanding you and saying, Hey, those of you who have a willing heart, bring an offering unto the Lord. And bring these things. This is what we need. And they start to list it. Now, giving, I want to talk about for a little bit here. I'm actually going to spend quite a bit of time on giving and different perspectives of it. But 2 Corinthians 9.7, you want to turn there? Please. 2 Corinthians 9.7, if you have your Bible. If you don't, I'll, just, I'll read it to you. You can listen. 2 Corinthians 9.7. It says this. Every man according as he purpose in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Do you hear that? God loves a cheerful giver. Max, you get that? God loves a cheerful giver. Cheerful, that word there in the Greek means hilarious. Cheerful. Giving like it's no big deal, man. Hey, this is all yours. Lord, anything you need, anything you want, you got it. Hey, you gave me 100%. You want this jacket? You got it. Anything you need, anytime, place, anywhere, I will give it. Listen to this quote. The trouble is that too many people are spending money they haven't earned for things they don't need to impress people they don't like. You say, give to God, give offering, give extra. Yeah. What's the deal with giving only 10%? Tithe? That's just standard. 
That's an exhortation to every single person here today. If you're not giving to your church or wherever you tend, shame on you. You know Harvest Christian Fellowship? If you don't go there, that's okay. It doesn't matter. Whatever church you go to, awesome. Praise the King for that. But listen, Harvest, you know, you know what percent of the church ties? 13%. What? That's ridiculous. The people of God... The God that rains down on these people and blesses them and brings them a wonderful church and place to be at, they tie 13%. Not individually, no. 13% of the church ties. That means if there's 100 people in the church, only 13 people are giving. That's pathetic. 10%, that's weak. God demands that of you. You know what Malachi chapter 3 says? Will you rob God? Have I not give you, given you everything already? Do I not own everything already? And you won't even give me 10%? He says, Malachi's writing down, he says, Where have we robbed you? Or And questioning with God. He's not speaking that directly, but God is speaking. Oh, you ask where you've robbed me? In your tithes and your offerings. And God says this. He says, test me in this. This is the only thing that God says you can test him in the entire Bible. Do you understand this? He says, oh, you don't think I'm going to bless you? Test me in this. He says, you tithe and you bring in the tithes and offerings in the house and watch that I won't open the floodgates of heaven. You ready? Floodgates of heaven, man. Just the doors bust open and start pouring into your life like you've never experienced. Maybe you need to start giving 20%. Maybe you need to start giving 30%. Maybe you need to start giving 40%. What? You can't do that. Why not? Give with a cheerful heart. We're going to watch what these people do here in this chapter. Amazing. This church, this rebellious three million people that shake their fist at God, watch what they do and watch how they give. I'm going to, you know what? I will. Let's, let's just read through it. I'm going to read about, it looks like about almost 15 verses right here, but just bear with me. Let's just read together. Verse 5 again. This is listing all the things that they're bringing to the table. There's some sweet stuff here. Take from among you an offering unto the Lord, whoever has what? A willing heart. Remember? Cheerful giver. Let him bring it, an offering unto the Lord. Gold, silver, and brass. Blue, purple, scarlet, fine linen, and goat's hair. This is like royalty kind of clothes. Ram skins, dyed red, badger skins, shittim wood, and oil for the light, spices for anointing oil, and for the sweet incense. Onyx stones. You know what that is? That's that black stone. Those onyx stones? Sweet. My dad used to have one. Anyways. <laughs> and stones to be set for the ephod and for the breastplate. And every wise hearted among you shall come and make all that the Lord has commanded. Gird up your minds, please. Stay focused in the text. It's only an ambulance. And Father, we pray wherever the ambulance is going that you would help the person, help them to do exactly what they need to do. In Jesus' name, amen. The tabernacle, verse 11, his tent and his covering, his tatches and his boards, his bars, his pillars, his sockets. This is just describing the tabernacle here. The ark and the staves thereof, with the mercy seat and the veil of the covering. The table and his staves and his vessels and his showbread and the candlestick, also in the light and his furniture and the lamps with the oil, the light and the incense and the altar. And his staves and anointing oil and the sweet incense and the hanging for the door um, at the inter- entrance of the tabernacle, the altar of burning offering, with its brazen gate, his staves, and all for his vessels, and his laver, and his, f- and his foot, the hanging of the court, and his pillars, and the sockets, the hanging for the door of the court, the pins of the tabernacle, the pins of the court, and the cords, the cloths of the service, to do service in the holy place, the holy garments for Aaron the priest, and the garments of his sons, to minister to the pri- in the priest's office. We'll stop there. So you see that? I mean, pretty descriptive there. It's pretty amazing. Moses, I, I mean, penning this down, writing this down, amazing memory. It's just like, I wonder how many times he broke that thing down and put it back up. He knows every single piece of that tabernacle. But he's asking them, commanding them, hey, this is what we need, bring it to the table. But notice what happens here. Notice what happens in verse 20. All the congregation of the children of Israel departed from the presence of Moses. you see that? Listen. All the children of Israel departed from the congregation. The congregation took out. They departed from Moses. 
I like this. Listen to this quote John Corson says. He says this. I'm just going to quote straight from what he said. They heard the invitation. They had a project before them, and they departed. In other words, Moses didn't pass the bucket right then. He didn't pressure the people. He didn't try to manipulate the situation. He simply said, go home and think about this. I like that. It's not like, listen up church, we have a need, uh, we have a building project. Uh, we have uh, this or that going on, you know, we need help here. We need so, so guess what, uh, all of you get out your books and let's the checkbooks start writing some checks. You know, hey, we got an ATM machine coming by, you can slide. Uh, what do you say, hey, go home, depart. Don't start giving off your jewelry right now. Don't start giving off all this stuff. You go home and you think about this. I like that. It would be like me exhorting you right now. Say there's a need. Like, you know what? We're going to send somebody to China to minister over there. And Bill here is going to be going in about a week. And so when we meet together tomorrow or in three days, or in a week. We're going to build up here again, and I want you to pray about this. And I believe that the people would go home and sincerely pray about what they can give and what they could bring to the table. It's nothing more than that, do you understand? If God is like stirring the hearts of the people, it's not hard to give. I just, I, I'm kind of bummed out at the church today with giving and the way we give and the, the, the tact. It's terrible. And of course, he spoke about his church when I was in the desert. And he said, they have no debt. Everything is paid off. They have tons of money, man. They just do whatever they need to do, they can do it. It's awesome. Because the people give. And I don't know why the people aren't giving exactly. And if you aren't giving, I don't know why you're not. But I know we need to start, and I'm going to start exhorting you in that right now. Verse 20, he lets them go home. And then what? Verse 21, look what it says. And they came, everyone whose heart stirred in him. Oh, snap, I love that. Everyone whose heart stirred in him. And everyone whose spirit made willing. And they brought the Lord's offering to the work of the tabernacle of the congregation for all his service and for his holy garments. And they came, both men and women, both men and women, as many as were willing-hearted and brought bracelets and earrings and rings and tablets and jewels of gold and every man that offered an offering unto the Lord that offered an offering of gold unto the Lord. Stop there. The people pulled through. Did you see what it says there? Stirred in their hearts. Why were they stirred in their hearts? They must have went home and prayed about it. They must have went home and talked to God about it. Meditated on it. Thought about it. You know what the equivalent was to what they gave in that day? If they were to give that much money or, or all of the things they brought, just in gold and silver, how much they brought? Over a billion dollars. Over one billion dollars they brought. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. I mean, at the church I go to, you know, with the size of, what, 18,000 people or whatever, if everyone gave a dollar, that's $18,000. If everybody gave five bucks, not going to do the math, it's close to like, what, 120? 100, $100,000, I mean, five bucks? I'm going to go spend that at Carl's Jr. today. Everyone, just with a willing heart, here you go, five bucks. I mean, what can we accomplish, my friends? I mean, a billion dollars would be nothing. I look at, uh... Wow. I look... I look at the, uh, the Mormon Church. Church of the Latter-day Saints. You, you know, they, they're extremely wealthy, man. How's it going? I mean, that horn was like a wooga. It was the real thing. It was, it was crazy. A billion dollars? That's crazy. You remember 
I'm just, you don't have to turn there, but remember the story in Mark chapter 12? And in Luke chapter 21, it's... This widow... Remember, Jesus is standing there and He's watching all these people give. And it says the rich, the rich came and did what? Put their money in there. They gave a lot. But then it says a widow came and she put two mites. I think it's like a fraction of a penny. But it says that Jesus says, you see this woman here? She gave more than every single person that is just given. And you want to know why? It's because she gave all. All of it. Every single bit. She gave all that she had. That would be like you right now, going to your bank account and cleaning it out and giving everything. Giving everything. Giving everything to the Lord. Nothing. You have nothing anymore. You have given it all. You have given everything you possibly have to God. All of your treasures. That's, that seems like a hard thing to do to me. For me, to give every single drop. Lord, And see, that's the thing, friends. Many people say, hey, when I'm a millionaire, I'll give. No, you won't. Because if you can't give the five bucks in your pocket right now, you ain't going to give a million dollars. If you can't give now and you don't have that heart, you are not going to give when you have money. You will be stingier. But a man and a woman has a willing heart to bring to the Lord no matter what they have. You got ten bucks? I dare you to give five away. You got ten bucks, I dare you to pay for somebody else and let them eat and not you. Well, I can't do that. Then I won't eat. Oh. Boo-hoo. You don't have to eat a meal once in your life. And we're blessed, huh? Willing heart they gave. Listen to this quote. Mother Teresa, she says this. If you give what you don't need, it isn't giving. Here you go. Yeah, you can have this. Yeah, no problem. Take it away. (laughs) I mean, it's pathetic. And that's what we do. I'm amazed at the things that are given to the church sometimes. You know, it's like the 20-year-old couch. Oh, thanks. (laughs) Never the first fruit. But man, wouldn't it be sweet if all of it's like, I'm going to give the best that I have to God all the time, every day. Always. I've got a couple more quotes for you. Listen to this. You know what? I'm going to read an illustration here. That's what I'm going to do. Chriswell tells of it in ambitious young man who told his pastor, check this, he told his pastor he promised God a tithe of his income. Told him, like, Pastor, I promise, I'm going to give tithe, 10%. He prayed for God to bless his career. And then they prayed for God to bless his career. At that time, he was making $40 per week. And tithing $4. $4 a week. In a few years, his income increased and he was tithing $500 per week. $500 per week in a few years. He's already tithing. He called on the pastor to see if he could be released from his tithing promise. It was too costly now. The pastor replied, I don't see how you can be released from your promise. But we can ask God to reduce your income to $40 a week. Then you'll have no problem tithing again. And that's true. You see, it's the same principle. We're either going to be able to give now with willing hearts now, or then when God does bless, or when God does bring it around, it ain't going to happen. Remember, quick roads, I've said it many times, he tithes 90% of his income. 90%. 90% he lived on 10, that's crazy. And that's why he's quick roads. I mean, snap, that's why he makes oatmeal. Matthew 6.21 says, Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, your money... That's where your heart's going to be. Listen. I'm going to read this slow. I want you to get this. This is like kind of poetry, but it's it's really cool. It says, Where your pleasure is, there your treasure is. 
Where your treasure is, there your heart is. Where your heart is, there your happiness is. It's Augustine. And so pretty much what it goes back to is, where your money is, that's where your happiness is. It's true. Wherever you put your money, that's where you find your happiness. And that tells a lot for a lot of people. Straight up. Wherever you're investing your money, that's where your happiness is. Period. Point blank. And maybe for some of us, it's like, man, that's some whack happiness. It really doesn't last that long. Alberto's is only good for a little bit. So many things we've got, maybe clothes, you know. Where do we invest our money? That's where we find our happiness. But that's dull, that's lame, that's weak, that's old. But investing in someone, I mean, I'm telling you, when you give to people, and when you give to God, there's no greater freedom. I'm telling you, it's like almost hard letting it go, but as soon as it does, it's like, I'm free, man! I mean, I gave it to him. And they were so blessed and they're so stoked and blown away. But what about when you do it when no one's looking? What about when you do it so you don't get any credit? You just give to somebody. That's amazing. That's radical. Nobody does that. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you want your heart to follow after God, invest. Invest in Him. John Corson carries $100 bills in his wallet. You want to know why? To give away to homeless people. And not give it to anyone else unless the Lord speaks to him. And it's nothing less than $100. That's crazy. Can he afford that? Probably not. <laughs> but he does it anyways. If you can't afford it, do it. See what God does. See how he blesses. Hey, isn't that a true step of faith though, friends? I mean, if you can trust God with your money, you're a crazy man. I mean, that's pretty hard. To give to something you can't even see. To give freely. To tithe, what, 40% or something like this. Like, okay, I normally tithe 20 bucks a week. You know, I'm just going to go for 100. And just jump off the cliff. I'm just going to give to God. Lord, I just want to bless you, man. You've been so good to me. You gave me so much. I only have $150 in my account. I'm going for it. And then all of a sudden, what does God do? As He promised in Malachi chapter 3, He says, test me. All of a sudden, the floodgates just open on your life like never before. You want to know if you trust God? Try giving. If you can give, you trust God. These people gave with willing hearts. These people gave more than probably any church in this day. It would be radical, you know, if if we just as a group, hey you guys, if we as a group just started giving to God in that way, whatever it means, when God speaks to you to buy the ladies' groceries behind you, you buy them. But I only have $40 in my account, Josh, do it anyways. Go for it. Jump off the cliff. See what God does for you. You give in radical ways and He will bless you. He promises that. Is our God real? Is He for real? Or is, is it not real? Is, is, is all this Bible stuff and all this God stuff and this praying, is this not real? Or is it real? If it's real, then He says it and it's going to happen. If He says it, you tithe and you give with an abundance. He promises that. That's true faith. Trusting in God. If he's real, then his word is real. And what he says is real. So I'd encourage you to jump off and test these things. See what happens. Let's move on here. I'm actually going to jump down to... You know, we'll read. Let's read. We're in verse 23. And every man whom was found blue and purple and scarlet faint fine linen and goat's hair and red skin and rams and badger skin brought them. If they had it, they brought it. That's so cool. Everyone that did offer an offering of silver and brass brought the Lord's offering. Every man with whom was found shittim wood and for any work of the service brought it. You see that? 
They just went home and kind of looked around at what they had. If they had it, they brought it, man. No hesitation. And look at this, verse 25. All the women that were wise-hearted did spin with their hands and brought that which they had spun, both of blue and purple and of scarlet and fine linen. The women, man, they just started like knitting away and, and, and doing their sewing thing. They were just serving a dish on this, man. I love that. They, they used the gift that they had. It's like, well, hey, you know, maybe I don't have all this other stuff, but you know what, I can, I can make something. Start using their talents. Verse 26, And all the women whose hearts stirred up in them with wisdom spun goat's hair. That's random. I wonder if goat's hair was hard to spin or something. You know, it's like it just says it. And all the women whose hearts were stirred, they spun goat's hair. <laughs> I mean, what does it smell or something? You know, it's like, why? Why? But hey, if their hearts stirred in them, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a dedication right there. Spin goats here? 27. And the rulers brought onyx stones and stones to be set up for ephod for the breastplate and spices and oil for the light and for the anointing oil and for the sweet incense. The children of Israel brought a willing offering unto the Lord. Every man and woman whose heart made them willing to bring for all manner to work which the Lord had commanded to be made by the hand of Moses. Stop there. Stop there. Did you see that in verse 27? Verse 27, did you see that? The first phrase there. And the rulers brought onyx stones. The rulers, the leaders. The leaders tithed more and gave more than any of these. And that's the way it should be in the church today. The pastors and the leaders and the elders and the deacons, if you're in leadership in the church, shame on you if you're not giving. And that you're not giving abundantly. Come on, do you believe in God, man? Listen to this. God judges what we give by what we keep. I'll say it again. God judges what we give by what we keep. Clean it out. The leaders brought abundance. The people brought abundance. I love seeing the leaders. They didn't just tell the people to give, but they noticed that they, that they needed to give. They set an example. I think we leaders today need to understand that anyone who stands as one needs to understand that the people around you will follow you and will do the things that you do. If the shepherd is not giving, then the people will not give. I believe it. And the people will know and understand if the shepherd gives because he can testify of it. Why wouldn't he? I wouldn't be surprised if Moses just like cleaned out everything he had and the people were like looking at him like Moses you, you don't you don't have to give all that no I'm giving it I'm bringing it he made sure that he gave in front of the people so that they could see that the pastor is giving that the person is willing Jesus, our King, He gave everything. I've tried to keep things in my hands and lost them. But what I've given in God's hands, I still possess. Martin Luther King. You understand, friends? All this stuff that you have on this earth, all this clothes, everything you spend money on, when you die, it doesn't go with you. You leave it all here. If I die today, you can have everything you want. Anything. Anybody want dibs on my motorcycle? Anybody? You want it? Robert, you got it, man. It's yours. Totally. Claimed it, man. I don't need it. I'm not taking it with me. But I can send things ahead. I can invest in people here on this earth giving money, blessing the church, helping people out. I can send things ahead giving. And you can too. Store for yourselves treasure in heaven where moth and rust don't eat up and destroy. Store for yourselves here on earth. It's not going to do anything for you. Who cares? 
I'd love to buy a Bentley. I tell you this, I'd love to buy a Bentley and just drive it off Malibu cliffs over there in Pepperdine. Just be sweet, man. Just everybody be like, what are you doing, man? You're crazy. You could have gave that money to a homeless person. No. Just trying to show you that money is nothing. It's worthless. It doesn't matter. It doesn't bring you happiness. Look at every single man who's filthy rich in the, in the tabloids daily. How much alcohol can you buy to satisfy? How many women? How much stuff? Rockefeller, didn't he say, how much money is enough? Just a little bit more? It's never going to satisfy. I would encourage you to just give it all away and invest. If you want investment, invest in God. There's no greater investment. This life... It's dropping a bucket. It's a vapor. It's going to be over pretty soon, friends. For you and for me, too, yeah. Life flies by. Give to Him. And watch what He'll do in your life. One last thing. I'm going to close this down. Listen to this. Captain Levy is a believer from Philadelphia. He was once asked, how could he give so much to the Lord's work and still possess great wealth? How can you give so much to God and still possess great wealth? Amen? I'll let you know. Here's the answer. The captain replied, oh, as I shovel it out, he shovels it in, and the Lord has a bigger shovel. It's true. He's got a bigger shovel than you could ever shovel out. Don't give to God so you'll get. Give to God because He's been good. And watch what He'll do in your life. You know, there's a couple verses there at the end, and it's basically speaking about a man that God pours His Spirit in and gives him an ability to be able to be the general contractor of this, the building of this tabernacle. And God has given every single one of you an ability. You hear this? Friend, as we wind down, just please. He's given all of us abilities, all of us talents, all of us things that we can do. He's given all of you money. You know you're richer than like 90% of the world. You're kings, friends. You really are. You're filthy rich, okay? You go out to eat like a couple times a week, my friends. He's blessed you. He's given you much, Vincent. And you can know that you give to God, whether it be with your talents, with your hands, with what you have. Practically, what are you good at? What are you good? What has God given you? What do you do, Johnny? What what has God revealed to you and given you skill in? The Lord has blessed me with Robert, man. I can't do this computer stuff. But He has blessed me with something that I can give to Him and He has blessed Him with something He can give to me. And He blesses us with with the website and the emails that go out, friends. All of you have gifts. What is it? Practically. I know Romans chapter 12. Yes, you have that also. But you have practical gifts. Things that God has made you good at. Start doing them. Be diligent. Give to God. Start shoveling everything that you can. And watch how the Lord will bless you. Have you received the word of the Lord tonight? Do you know what He's saying to you? Do you know what He's speaking to you directly, individually? He's speaking to you to start giving and let go of your money. Let it go. If this group here, do you ma- can you imagine? If this group, look at us, look around you right now. Go ahead, turn your head, it's okay. Check out, check out this group. If we start just shoveling it out to people. Do you know the impact that we can make? I dare you, if God challenges you to buy some food for somebody at a fast food place, I dare you to, dare you to say, hey, can I pay for that? What? Well, you know, I just, I just like to give to people, you know, and I really want to bless somebody. I do it in the name of Jesus, so if you don't want it, you don't have to take it, but I'd love the blessing in the name of Jesus. I dare you to keep your ears open and be ready to give whatever you have at all times. 
Got a hundred bucks. About to go down to South Coast by stop. Man, I'm going through a hard time, man. I, I just got kicked out of my house. I need a hotel for the night. Can you help me? Okay. Here you go, man. I give that to you in the name of Jesus. You know, I was going to go by close with this today. But I want to give it to you in the name of Jesus. Because he's given this to me. Be blessed. Let me pray for you. Your gifts and your talents, whatever you have, you can work on cars and you can paint pictures or... What can you do? I don't know. Play music. Vincent, write me a song, man. Whatever you can do practically in your life, do it for others. Bless them with it. Watch what happens. Amen? Hey, thanks for listening. I know I've, I've, I know it's long. I know it's cold. But I just ask that you meditate on these things. The Lord's spoken to me tonight. He truly has. As I sit here, I, I think to myself, like, man, Father, give me a heart like yours. You know how much God gave? Everything. Cleaned out his bank account. And how much is he going to get back? Nothing. Small amount. Give everything to God. And he'll bless you. Let me pray. Lord, you're a gracious king. Why have you given so much for us? Why have you paid so much money for us? I'm not worth that much. You laid down your life. You came down out of heaven, Lord, and died for the sins of the world. You give us heaven for free. You can't buy heaven. And you give it to us for free? What kind of person would do that? Who would throw away a trillion dollars, Lord? Who would give more money than that? You have for us. And we are forever indebted to you. And we want to serve you and live for you because of that. And Lord, give us those hearts that want to give and bless people. Work in us hearts that are really willing to lay down anything and any amount of money at any time. And Lord, stir in us, God, just not tithing. Gosh, Lord, I... 10% is nothing. Why didn't you ask for 50%, Lord? You deserve it. You've given so much more. But Lord, we'll be diligent in giving 10. And Lord, we'll give 15 when you prompt us. We'll give 20 when you prompt us. We'll give, Lord, we'll give 70 when you prompt us. We'll give it all when you prompt us. Every single bit. Speak to our hearts this week, Jesus. We want to be knights living for you, servants living for you. That people would look into our lives and be blown away by how much we give willingly and it means nothing to us. This world is nothing. Just give me Jesus. You're enough, Lord. Bless these. Work these words in these. Father, I'm sorry that it went long. Please sift through all the things that were said and really help these people to chew. And this family here to chew on the meat that has been spoken to their lives personally. And mine too. Thank you for being here with us tonight. Bless us as we go in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.